Hello and welcome to Life Learnings. I'm Barry Harker and my guest today is Margot Marshall. Margot works as the producer and host of health programs at 3ABN Australia. Margot has extensive experience in health promotion. With her daughter Kim, Margot is the developer of a program called Body and Soul. In this program, Margot will share some exciting insights and research into a healthy lifestyle. We'll also find out a little more about Margot and what motivates her. Welcome, Margot. Thank you, Barry. It's great to uh, have you in the studio to very talk nice, with today. Very nice to be here. Thank you. Margot, you take a holistic lifestyle medicine approach to health. What impact does lifestyle have on health? Well, it's interesting. I won't give you my opinion. I'll tell you what the Journal of the American Medical Association has to say about it, and I quote, medical care has relatively little impact on health, and that that there is quantified in 05 by the US Surgeon General who said 70% of our, well, I'll go to the other one, 10% relates to medical care. 10% of our health status, Barry, he said, is dependent on, on medical care, 10% environmental, 10% uh, hereditary factors, and 70% lifestyle. So lifestyle, according to the US Surgeon General, accounts for more than everything else put together. So we have more control over our own health outcomes than we think. That's what they're saying. And if you think 70% a bit high, Australia has it even higher because the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners says 75% of premature deaths in Australian men are determined by modifiable risk factors, that is, the things that each man can do something about. And they have a project called the M5 Project. Do you know what that stands for? Uh. M for men and 5 for the number of men every hour who die prematurely because of things they could do something about. Modifiable risk factors, as they call them. Why aren't men doing something about it? Oh, we won't go into that. <laughs> I just share the information and, and I'll leave that just to the psychologists. Okay. Yeah. So how would you explain a holistic approach to health? Again, I won't give you my own personal view straight away, but the World Health Organisation puts it this way. Health is a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. Now, it's interesting, they've got the physical, mental and social, and f since 2003, I think it is, they've actually been considering including um, spiritual in there, which, which isn't surprising because there's been more than 1,200 studies over the last 100 years which show a direct relationship between spirituality and health. In fact, um, it was that same year... 2003, when the front page of Newsweek had, you know, the headlines on the front page, um, is religion good for you? Why science is starting to believe? So uh, it's it's out there, and do you know, in America, more than half of the medical schools teach courses on spirituality and medicine. I guess that's because of the links that are in those research studies. Yes, yes, so much, so much is out there, and I. I go back now to the beginning of time because right back there at the beginning we have those four aspects that's the physical the mental the social and the spiritual all there right in the creation story starts out where god on day six created adam's physical body and then he told him what his uh, 
gave him his job description, which was going to be physical outdoor work in that beautiful garden. And then the next thing, he uh, there was an interesting statement made. It's, God had said all through the week up, up till then, he gave a little evaluation on, on what he'd done. It is good, it is good, it is good. Gets to day six and then he says, it's not good. You probably could finish that one, Barry. Uh, it's not good that man should be alone. Yeah, he said that. So the very next thing he did after creating his physical being was, you're probably thinking, I'm talking about listeners now, you probably know, you might be thinking the very next thing he did was to create Eve, but actually the next thing he did was to give him a very lovely mental exercise, which I imagine took quite a while. He said, I want you to name all the animals and all the birds. Now, it was more than a mental exercise. I'm sure it was sheer pleasure. <laughs> I know it would be for me because even now we, you know, we see creatures that we haven't seen or even the ones that we have and you love to see them, interact with them and enjoy them. So that would have taken quite a while. And then after that, or while that was happening, I guess, Adam started to work out for himself what God had already said. It's not good for him to be alone. And right at the end of that exercise, a statement was made, but couldn't find anyone suitable for Adam. He, he thought, none of these are going to do. Yes. <laughs> These giraffes are cute, but, you know, <laughs> not what I had in mind. And so God, I, I think he loves surprises. That's what I love about him, actually. There's lots of surprises. He said, he didn't say it, but in a way, close your eyes. I've got a surprise. So he put him into a deep sleep. And then when he opened his eyes, there was this beautiful bride. And um, I don't know if he played the wedding march, but I would. <laughs> and uh, so that social came into it. But it's interesting how he underscored the importance of that. He said it, then Adam figured it out, and then he got it written in the Bible so we would all know how, how important it is that people need people. And, you know, then we come to the life of Jesus, and he modelled it. He modelled all four because... Where was the spiritual back there in Genesis? Oh, yes. Thank you for that. Yes. So he he got to that point where they did the wedding ceremony himself in person and gave them his wedding gifts, which was the whole world. He actually said that. And then at the day as the uh, sun began to set to mark the seventh day, he gave them the Sabbath as a beautiful gift. And, and it says that. He said the Sabbath was made for mankind, not just for Adam. The Sabbath was made for all of us. So that was the spiritual. Four different emphases on, on those things. So you have the complete model of yeah. lifestyle health the, back there in Genesis. That's right. And then when you get to the New Testament, Jesus is 12. That's the last thing we hear about what he did until he became you know, an evangelist at the age of 30. So you've got those 18 years. And the only thing we know about it is... Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. So you can help me with this one. So wisdom. Mental. Mentally, yeah. Um, what did I say? Wisdom and stature. stature. Yeah, physically. So physically, the stature is physically. And yes. in favour with God. That's spiritual. And man. Social. Social, that's right. All four. Very interesting when you think about it, just that very 
brief commentary, but it really underscores. And Jesus modelled that whole thing, and he's our, he's our model. So, so God intended that we have a spiritual dimension as well as a social, physical, and mental. He just didn't intend it. It's actually right there in the frontal lobe. It's, that's where it's been figured out that it is in company with the will and the conscience. That's where that, it's actually located. So it's that part of our brain that actually functions mm, it's, it's, it's in a, a spiritual it's way. It's a very real part of us. Um, somebody actually called it a God-shaped hole that only he can fill. I quite like that because, yeah, that's how it works. So that's where our moral decisions yes, are taken. it is. It is. Let's start with the physical, Margot. What's the impact of lifestyle medicine on our physical health? It's incredible. We've already heard that it counts for 70 or 75%, but let's let's put a study on that. Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn wanted to prove, as others had, he wanted to do his own study to show that heart disease could be arrested and even reversed with lifestyle. And he particularly just focused on diet. And so he had a group of 17 patients. Now, these patients were really sick. They had been at the Cleveland Clinic, and it doesn't get any better than that for medical care. People come from all over the world to get treated there. And so what had happened among them, they had had 49 coronary events in the years leading up to the study. And then 12 years later, zero zero coronary events among that group of 17 compliant people and they were 12 years older. So that is quite remarkable. And, you know, 20 years later, they were still alive and thriving and some of them had been given less than a year to live and yet there they were. So I find that quite incredible. You know, uh, Barry, our bodies are very forgiving and just like the one who created them. So what does Esselstyn doing with his patients to get this sort of outcome? He just uses a totally plant-based diet. That's it. He believes in exercise, but he just wanted to show what diet could do. So it was just a totally plant-based diet. He was very strict about it. He had to be because he had to know what would work. That was the diet that was given back in Genesis, wasn't it? Yes. Isn't that interesting? He's actually done a second study, but I'll just leave it at that one for this talk. Now, tell me about the China study, because that's also about plant-based diet too, isn't it? It is. And, you know, um, Dr. T. Colin Campbell, who led that study, he went into it not expecting to find what he found, because his views were very, very different before that study. The China study is the most comprehensive study on the relationship between diet and disease in world medical history. I could spend a long time on it. I won't, but I'll just tell you what he concluded, what his, what it showed to him at the end of that study. And this is what he said. He said, we must tell the public that a diet of roots, stems, seeds, flowers, fruit and leaves is the healthiest diet and the only diet we can promote, endorse and recommend. There you go. That so was he's his... really talking about a diet that's very similar Yeah, to all what... of those things, they're all parts of plants. And he said that is the, the, the healthiest and the only one that we can endorse and recommend. Big surprise to him, but he was a very honest man. And even though it just cut across everything that he had understood before, he's, he, he just said that's what it has, has to be. I think he's written a book, hasn't he, called The China the Study? The China Study. Definitely worth picking up. I think you can get it in even some health food stores. You certainly should be able to get it in most bookstores. Probably Amazon.com if you don't get it anywhere else. Yes, I I would suggest you could pick that up there. So the diet that's really making a difference is the fruits, grains, the nuts and the vegetables. That's right. 
right back there in the beginning. It's a shame, isn't it, that we have to learn things the hard way? Mm. Because as great as it is to reverse an illness, imagine the suffering and the, the loss of quality of life that people have if they don't just sort of take it So we're just board. starting to catch up with Genesis by the sounds of it. Yeah, it does. Margot, I understand that more than 50 years ago, the US government noticed that Seventh-day Adventists were living longer, healthier lives than the general population, and they funded studies to find out why. Tell me about it. Yes, they did. It's cost them millions. The last I heard was 37, but that was years ago. It's probably heaps more now. And so just in terms of um, death rates from heart disease, compared to the general population, Seventh-day Adventists who ate meat, these are not vegetarian ones, they only had 56% as much heart death rate from heart disease, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So there are other factors that obviously come into the healthy lifestyle. But people who were vegetarian included uh, eggs and dairy products and cheese and all that stuff as well. They had 39% compared to the 100% in the yes. general population. Yes. But total vegetarians or vegans only had 14% of the death rate compared to the general population. That's a significant difference, it's, isn't it? It is. It definitely is. Margot, what about our Australian dietary recommendations? Well, this may surprise you because I've just, you've just got a copy of it there of the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating and I think possibly listeners may have seen it when they visited a hospital or somewhere. So it's, it's a pie chart or a plate model divided into segments and you will see that plant foods dominate that model. So you've got the grain, big section for grains, a big one for veggies, another one for fruit. And that leaves you with two more sections, one that's got meat and fish and eggs, things like that, and it's also got the legumes and the nuts. So there are plant options in that protein section, I suppose you would call it. And then you've got the the dairy section, which is there exclusively for calcium, and then you have uh, soy milk, which you could use as an alternative with with calcium fortification. So the fact is, although at first sight you might think that you have to have some meat and milk, actually you don't. There are options in, in those two areas as well. And I have here... So it's possible to meet these guidelines without actually having meat and dairy? Absolutely. In fact, I have their book here that um, talks about the, the guidelines and it says Australians following a vegetarian diet can still meet nutrient requirements if energy needs are met and the appropriate number and variety of serves from the five food groups are eaten throughout the day. Well, everyone has to do that. It doesn't matter whether you're a vegetarian or, or a meat eater. You have to have... Um, the appropriate number and variety of serves from those food groups. So it's just, they're just saying Australians following a vegetarian can still meet nutrient requirements. There's actually no requirement in this country to use any anim- animal products. Interesting. And I'm, I'm absolutely sure that listeners are going to be quite surprised to hear that because it doesn't really come out as obvious when you just glance at the, the model. Now, on the bottom of this guide... You have a list of things that should only be taken sometimes and in small amounts. You have fruit juices, wines, um, soft drinks, chips, sausages, chips, sausages, and so forth. And, That's right. uh, and um, I think there's also um, meats and so forth. And oils, yeah. Meats and oils. How much do Australians spend on this category of foods? You would be shocked. 
because most of the Australian food budget goes on foods in that category. About 50%, isn't it? 54. 54%. More than half goes on foods that really should only be used in small amounts sometimes. And the ones that we, the amount we should spend the most on, or the area we should spend the most on is, is the plant foods, the grains, the vegetables and the fruits. 60% is supposed to be spent there and we only spend 21%. We really, Australians, according to the Food Sense program of the Health Department in WA, need to be spending three times as much on plant foods as we currently do. So if we shifted the balance of where we spent our money in terms of food, we could have a major impact on our health status. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'd probably make an impact on the environment too because uh, animal foods are very hard on the environment. We won't talk about that today because that's not our topic, but it's huge. Now, Margot, I understand that listeners can hear about some of the amazing health turnaround stories on the program that you produce, Healthy Living. So if people go to 3abnaustralia.org.au, they can um, press the catch-up button and they can watch, yes. they watch those programs. Yes, and hear some more amazing stories of how people turn their health around. People almost on the brink of the grave, can just get their life back. It's amazing. Okay, so this sounds really interesting in terms of people being able to make basic lifestyle mm. decisions yeah. that will improve their health status. Margo, is there a community-based program where people can get help with lifestyle interventions? There is, and it's fairly widespread throughout Australia and New Zealand and other parts of the world too. I think they've had ooh, 50, 60,000 participants worldwide. Uh, it's called CHIP, C-H-I-P, and that's an acronym for Complete Health Improvement Program. That's, that's amazing, and people get just outstanding results in just a matter of weeks. It's hard to believe, and sometimes when they do get the outcomes, even when they see their results in front of their eyes and their, their tests coming back, they can hardly believe what they're seeing. Absolutely amazing. Tell me a bit about the process. What would a person experience if they went to a CHIP program? Oh, it's a fairly intensive program. It goes over fairly intensive for about the first four weeks or so and then just tapering off a little bit so that people can sort of really develop that new lifestyle and get the support they need while they're doing it. People get some medical tests before and afterwards, I think, yes, too, don't they? Is that's that part right. of the, Is that part of the study? It is, because that way they can know for sure what their outcomes are. It's not just a case of, oh, I think I feel better. It's a case of look at your cholesterol, look at your blood sugar and so on. Amazing, absolutely outstanding. If you're listening to the program and you're really thinking that you ought to make some changes in your, in your lifestyle, I'd encourage you to have a look at the CHIP website. It's chiphealth, all one word, .org.au. So if you go there, you can find out about the program, where the programs are held, and uh, all the details about the program. So visit the CHIP website, the chiphealth.org.au website. Margot, we've talked about the physical. Is there a community-based program that will help us with mental health? There is, actually. It's been put together by Dr Neil Nedley. He's actually an internal medicine specialist, but he discovered that people who come to see an internal medicine specialist, I think it's something like... Um, two or three out of five also have depression and he thought 
um, if that's the case, I should know as much about depression as a psychiatrist. And he said about doing that. But being an internal medicine specialist, he looks for causes. And so he began to research all the literature to find out the causes of depression. And, you know, he came up with over 100. He said, by the time I got to 70, I was beginning to feel a bit depressed. But uh, he persevered. And what he did was to categorise them into 10, what he calls 10 hit categories. And uh, just an amazing program. Do you know, talk about the impact of... um, lifestyle on our mental health depression alone is the greatest cause of disability in this country in Australia and worldwide that and that's just depression that's not any other form of mental health so it's a massive thing and it makes a huge impact but this is what he had to say about um, about lifestyle and I'm quoting Dr Nedley here the front part of our brain can either be enhanced or compromised by our habitual choices. So we're coming back to that lifestyle again. And in his in his course, this eight weeks course that he's put together, which is community based, uh, people learn about the lifestyle things that the, the foods, the exercise, and and uh, the way they think, all of that. And that's what helps them to turn around. It's an amazing thing. And although it's an eight week course. It's a 20-week turnaround, so they get the skills, they get the materials, and in about five months... uh, He also has a residential program, I understand. He does, and that's only available at this stage in the US. And do you know, that's particularly for treatment-resistant people who have just not been able to get any help at all, and that has a 97% success rate, even with treatment-resistant people. Absolutely amazing. He said if a drug could do what that course does, it would be hailed as a miracle drug. He said, but no drug can. still comes back to this idea that lifestyle is far more powerful than any of the medical care that's out there. And he's a doctor, so he's not, not hasn't got anything against... If you're interested in looking at um, Dr Nedley's course on YouTube... It's the Nedley Community Depression Recovery Program. I'll repeat that. The Nedley Community Depression Recovery Program. Go and have a look at it on YouTube and check it out. Okay, so we've gone through physical and mental. How do our social or interpersonal relationships impact our health? I just want to start with a little story that's absolutely precious, Barry. It talks about a couple of little twins who were in a hospital in in, uh, incubators and one of them wasn't expected to live. Uh, She just wasn't doing well. And one very insightful nurse decided to put the sick little twin into the incubator with the other one, with with her twin sister. And it wasn't very long before the the one that was well, or not, not, you know, much better, she got a little arm and put it around her sister that she'd spent all that time in the womb with, and she began to improve. Her heart rate settled down, her temperature was came good, and she actually became well, and she survived, and she was not expected to live. So both of them thrived together, and that was just so precious. But... I just just had to tell you that one because it just puts a sort of a human element on what can happen with social interaction. What are the studies telling us? Well, there were some studies done on the psychosocial risk factors for heart disease and this, this sort of focused on particularly on bereavement and 
there was a 40% increase in death from heart attacks in bereaved people in the first six months after the death. A very stressful time, isn't it? Nearly half as many, again, yes, in that first six months, but a 21-fold increase in the incidence of non-fatal heart attacks in the first 24 hours after bereavement. Mm, 21 times as many. They were non-fatal in that case, but 21 times as many in the 24 hours after the death. Powerful, absolutely So losing this, this tremendously powerful social attachment. Yeah. Yeah, um, has the impact on our whole being. All of these things impact on each other. It's very devastating. Yeah. Mm. That's pretty astonishing. What about other causes of death? Well, other causes... Well, there were eight large-scale community studies that found that, and I'll quote here, those who were socially isolated had at least two to five times the risk of premature death from all causes when compared to those who had a strong sense of community and connection. And Dr. Dean Ornish, now he's well known for reversing heart disease through, um, you know, diet and and, uh, he had stress and, and other things there. But this was his opinion, and I'll share it with you. He said, I have found that perhaps the most powerful intervention is the healing power of love and intimacy and the emotional and spiritual transformation that often result from these. So he put love there as at the top whether others would agree with that, but it was he found it to be very, very powerful. And then let's go back to that Surgeon General because he didn't tell you exactly what he said about lifestyle choices, and he spelled it out this way when he said that 70% of our health status depends on them. He spelled it out this way. What we eat and drink, whether we smoke or exercise, and how we love. I was, I was absolutely amazed when I first read that. Mm. I didn't... I didn't expect that because, you know, this has been a bit of a journey for me too. I haven't always understood the impact of these other things. I used to think when I started taking an interest in health, it was all about food and exercise, you know, pretty much. I didn't understand those other dimensions and how powerful, how powerfully they can affect us. So, yeah, how we love, and that's from the US Surgeon General. So critical. the implication is that people need people. They need to have that's exactly right. positive, loving relationships with family and, um, and the community. Yeah, yes, the people in the community. do, do. Okay, that brings us to spirituality. First of all, tell me what spirituality is. That's an interesting one, and it tends to be a bit elusive, and I've heard lots of people try to define it. Give me yours. All right, I'll give you mine, because I have thought about this a lot, and I'm just not just talking about it in the last little while. I've thought about it ever since I went to a spirituality and health conference back in the 90s. This is my understanding. So for what it's worth, my understanding of spirituality is plugging into the source of life itself, and that's the creator of our being. And not just believing in someone up there, but actually inviting that someone up there into your heart and asking him to control your life. That's that's the way I understand it. Margot, do we all have spiritual natures? We do. We do. Uh, It's right there in the frontal lobe with the conscience and the will, moral reasoning. It's all there in the frontal lobe. Unless, of course, it's been damaged or removed by a lobotomy or or even lifestyle. So that's the part of our brain that deals with thinking, decision-making, moral reasoning and spirituality. That's That's right. That's right. And it's right there. And they've discovered that. 
they discovered it unfortunately when people have had a lobotomy or they've had serious damage to that part of the brain and they their whole personality just changes and mm. their moral decision well they don't you know they lose that now this this relationship between spirituality and health is really burgeoning at the moment isn't it Yes, yes it is. What are the studies telling us about the impact of spirituality on health? Uh, did you want all 1,200 studies? <laughs> no, just give me the highlights. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, we'll just, we'll just look at some highlights here. Spirituality has been found to be an independent risk factor for good health. These are just some little dot points here. Uh, and it's also been found to increase the immune system. So here we have spirituality affecting our physical being, our immune system, and there are several organs involved in that system, and so it's been found to increase our immune function. They found that people who are in touch with God are less likely to get sick and better able to cope when they do. Um, People have fewer surgical complications and shorter stays when they have a strong connection with God. In fact, in pe- if people even pray and meditate for 10 minutes twice a day, that significantly lowers their blood pressure. I went to the first uh, conference on spirituality and health back in the 90s. Absolutely amazing. I was so, so pleased to get there. And the um, keynote speaker was David Williams. This is what I scribbled down as he said it, because some of the studies, you'll, you'll get this, it doesn't matter what you're studying, you'll get maybe the bulk of the studies that show one thing and then there might be a couple that show something different. But when it came to church attendance, this is what he said, and I'm really glad I managed to get it down. He said, Best evidence. Even sceptics agree. It's incontrovertible. All studies uniformly found that religious attendance improved health. And he's, he made five ways of making his points. You know, best evidence, that was one. Even sceptics agree, that was two. Incontrovertible, three. All studies, four, uniformly found that church attendance or religious attendance improved health. So that was, so that was powerful. Who, so a person who takes time out for their spiritual nature attending a church service, a religious event, mm. whatever, mm. are getting actual physical benefits. Yes, yeah. And that, that's what the studies show uniformly, uh, yes. Margaret, does spirituality do anything else besides enhancing our health? It does, and this is powerful and really important. There's a study that showed that just thinking about religion gives people significantly more self-control on other unrelated events. Now, if you've got self-control, it doesn't. that will affect every area of your life. It wouldn't matter what it was. And so that's important. So what happened was study participants were given a sentence containing five words to unscramble. Now, some of those sentences had uh, religious themes and others didn't. Now, after that, they were given some tasks to complete that required self-control. And those tasks were, uh, were different. Some of them involved enduring discomfort, not sure how uncomfortable, delaying gratification, exerting patience and refraining from impulsive responses. They found that participants who had unscrambled the sentences containing religious themes had significantly more self-control in completing their tasks. And what I find interesting is that the lead researcher, Mr Rowning, didn't expect that to happen. 
he was surprised. He said, until now, I believed religion was a matter of faith and people had little practical use for religion. So he did not expect the outcomes that he got. He didn't go in there with a bias. He was really surprised. So isn't that amazing? Imagine being given that self-control. That's, that's what we could all probably do with a bit more of. Very interesting material, Nago. Now, a person who's not able to attend a CHIP program or go to a depression recovery program but wants to do something simple to improve their, their health outcomes, what are some simple things that people can do in each of the four domains that we've talked about? Well, I've just thought of some things they could do and these are things you could do today, listeners. So think about this. You could eat an extra serve of fruit and veggies because the international studies continue to show that's the single most important thing you can do to improve your health in terms of of food. Eat an extra serve of fruit and veggies. And by the way, I'll add this. Dr Campbell from the China study said this, there is no threshold or stopping point at which eating plant foods stop. No threshold. So that would be a powerful thing to do in terms of physical so there's no threshold or stopping point at which the benefits of eating plant foods stop. Right. So Amazing. that's a simple thing that everyone simple can do. Simple thing. Just have an extra serve today. See, you do it today. <laughs> have an extra serve of fruit and veg. What about in the mental domain? Take a walk, preferably in the fresh air, and it will lift your mood. And that will help your relationships too. <laughs> so just a simple thing like getting outside and walking... Mm can have a major impact on your mood. It definitely does. What about in the social domain? Keep the golden rule. Treat others the way you would like them to treat you. So it's really that simple, just treating other people as you want to be treated yourself. Yeah, just a simple principle. Dale Carnegie wrote a whole book on how to win friends and influence people, and he became rich and famous for that. But when you boil it all down, it's just that simple. Treat other people the way you'd like them to treat you. They'll love you for it. So these are really simple things that you can do. Eat some more veggies, go for a walk every day, just treat people as you want to be treated yourself. Mm -hmm. What about in the spiritual domain? Read the Bible. Because it's been validated that our lives aren't sustained just by bread alone. That's what we've been talking about, haven't we? That's right, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, and it really does affect our health. So just read the Bible. So an individual with high levels of spiritual wellness will experience better health outcomes right across the board, physical, social, and emotional health. That's right. And it's all back there in Genesis. That's God, right. That's God right. Set Being it up. there all the time. God yeah. set it up so that we would have enjoyment out of life mm. and that we would enjoy good health. Good relationships and a good relationship with him. Yes, and that we could reach our full potential because the word health, I noticed back in about the 16th century, often the word health was translated as whole. You know, it said, I will make you whole. That means, and so when we we, uh, recognise that all of these components are the very fabric of our being and we tap into all of them, there's a synergy effect and we we will get the benefit of all of that. In summary, Margot, you're suggesting that four simple things listeners can do today to improve their health are eat an extra serve of fruit and vegetables, take a walk in the fresh air, treat everyone the way that you would like to be treated, and read the Bible. Yep, and see the difference it makes.
I'm Barry Harker and you're listening to Life Learnings on 3ABN Radio Network. My guest today is Margot Marshall. Margot works as a producer and host of health programs at 3ABN Australia. Margot has been sharing some insights and research into a healthy lifestyle. We'll go to a break now. When we come back, I'll be talking with Margot about her life and commitment to Christianity. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 2 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abn That is radio at the number 3abn Australia. All one word. .org.au. Our postal address is 3abn Australia Inc. PO Box 752 Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. If you've just joined us, I'm Barry Harker and you're listening to Life Learnings on 3ABN Radio Network. My guest today is Margot Marshall. Margot's been sharing some insights and research into a healthy lifestyle. Our conversation will now turn to Margot's life and her commitment to Christianity. Margot, tell me about your early life. My early life. Well, I had a great life, actually, a wonderful childhood. I had a lovely mum and dad, and um, my mum had a great sense of humour. She liked liked to uh, play little tricks on people, which kids enjoy that, don't they? I don't know if my dad did, because what she would use, what she would do, we we used to get firecrackers back then, and you could get little teeny ones about two centimetres long, skinny, and she would get my dad's cigarettes, take out some tobacco, tuck them in, you know, tuck in a cracker and then put the tobacco in. And remember my dad would light up, boom! (laughs) We used to think that was... (laughs) We used to quite enjoy that. But that was all good fun. So I think it's genetic. I quite enjoy a bit of fun too. So you don't smoke, so you'll be safe. Margot, where was all this? Oh, in Cannington in Western Australia, yes. My dad actually uh, was part of a big family uh, nursery business that his dad started, and that was Wilson and John's, so they had a big nursery and a big florist shop in the city of Perth. And um, he actually went on to be Greenfingers on ABC TV right up until he died. Okay. Mm. So what sort of things did you like to do as a child? Ah, I loved playing outside, and so um, and, I, and I enjoyed playing basketball and softball at school. I actually captained the teams, but we had we had uh, lots and lots of fruit trees and things where we lived, and I wish that we could do that now. It's absolutely lovely. Some of my fondest memories as a child are climbing the massive fig trees. They were huge. So the three of us, I had two sisters, so we would be out on different big branches eating figs, and I have no idea. We didn't count them or do the two and five thing. It was just like you climb the tree and you just have a feed of figs or stand under the locust tree and eat locusts or the pomegranate tree. And you know what? We never, I never had seen people eating a pomegranate that hadn't split wide open. That's how we would wait for them to, you know, that to happen and then we'd eat them and walk under the grapevines, a huge amount of grapevines. The only trouble was um, the birds would peck, 
the ripening grapes before the, they were all ready. And they would get fermented and the bees would have easy access to that. They'd get drunk, fall on the ground, and I'd be running around in bare feet and raw with the pain. So those are some of my childhood memories. Uh, yeah, it was just, just really lovely. Margot, what were your interests when you were growing up? Well, I guess it was something the family did, but I used to do needlework and I, used, I got prizes in the canning show for some of the needlework that I did. So my mum would do that and my grandmother would crochet. Oh, no, it was the other way around. I think it was the other way around. One crocheted and one one did the, uh, the sewing. So I enjoyed doing that. Did you enjoy reading? Yeah, no, not much. Margot, how did you find school? Um, I really loved school and I did well at school, so it wasn't, it wasn't hard at all and I, I quite enjoyed going to school. What did you think you were going to do as a child in the future? I actually didn't really have any big ambitions. I didn't. I just didn't think, you know, I didn't imagine. I never, ever imagined I was going to be doing what I'm doing now. That was just never in my thinking. A bit like Dad, I suppose. I think he never imagined he'd be on TV. But I have, you know, become a director of health and lifestyle over the northern Australian region. And we, my daughter and I ran a health promotion business. Never imagined any of that uh, at all. Just didn't, didn't imagine doing anything amazing. <laughs> so you didn't have any firm ideas about what you wanted to do? No. Tell me about... Um religion in your family and your own spirituality. All right. We, we went to Sunday school. Our parents sent us to Sunday school. I enjoyed that very much. And then at school we would have religious instruction and I enjoyed that too. Um, somehow we didn't stop. We stopped going to Sunday school. I don't know why, just it did. So then we got to my teens and I... I just I remember this very, very well. When I was in my teens, I had this really deep, nagging fear that the world was going to end, and I thought, when that happens, what will happen to me? That's what I worried about. It was a really private fear. I, what was fueling that? I what don't do know, think? really. I guess it's from time to time you hear that kind of, you know, mention that the world might end. And But that was an incredibly private fear. I, nobody would have even been able to guess that I carried that around with me. And I, um, it makes me think, Barry, that probably there's a lot of people who, like me, deep inside them, they think, this world isn't really going to last much longer and then what will happen to me? And that's what, that's what my fear was. However, um, while I was still in my teens, probably about 17, I think, I met someone who was able to share with me, yes, indeed, the world will end and not long to go, but I don't have to end with it. And that's been, that was the most incredible thing that's probably happened to me because you get a peace inside of you that you can't get any other way except knowing that there's a God who's going to take care of things and just because he's going to put an end to the way we've messed things up, it's not the end of everything. So with this new perspective, what difference did that make to your motivation and your future? It was a gradual thing, I suppose. Um, at the same time, I learnt about vegetarianism. I'd never heard of it in my life. <laughs> so I became a vegetarian of sorts, didn't have much idea how to do it except, you know, not eat the meat, and I didn't have much idea on what to cook or anything. But that, that you know, over time that changed. And when I was uh, in probably early 20s, mid-20s, um, 
the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which I had joined, that's when I became a Christian at 17, they asked me if I would train as a vegetarian cooking demonstrator. So I did that and learned a bit more about how to actually um, put together healthy food. And then much later on, 15 years later, they asked me if I would train other demonstrators. So that was kind of the journey I went through with with that. And then it went on from there, having a, a business and and being a health director and so on. So you're a health director in a conference. It's a group of churches. Yes, in in northern Queensland and northern territory. It was quite a big your, territory. And you had your business, and so you've been. Oh, a... that was before. You know, we mm-hmm. had the business, and then later, we did that. Yes. So you've had quite extensive experience in health promotion. We have actually. I say we because my daughter and I tend to do things together, and um, we we've presented to all kinds of groups. You know, not just professional, but um, children and indigenous and. Um, prisons, <laughs> yes, we've been to jail, <laughs> and uh, it's all very interesting. So this is and quite different from where you started out, isn't it? Very different, very different. It just all seemed to um, take place, I guess. How did you come to be married to a pastor? Well, um, he actually was in hospital. He wasn't a Seventh Day Adventist at the time, but um, someone who was in hospital with him invited him to come. We met at church. And six weeks later, we started saying things like, when we get married, da-da-da. And it was, this is really funny. I I guess it is. Um, We got married a couple of years later, but one time after that, I don't know how much after that, I was talking to a couple of girlfriends and they were saying, oh, how did your husband propose to you? So they're going through all the romantic stuff he did, da-da-da. And... There were three of us, and so they were telling it. And while they're telling them, I'm trying to think what Pat had said to me. And I couldn't remember. And this is, oh, this is embarrassing. You don't forget a thing like that. And um, so I'm really searching my mind and starting to feel a bit tense, actually. And then I suddenly realised he actually didn't propose. We just, we just knew we were going to get married, and we it just seemed we did. <laughs> and so it never actually happened, and we didn't even realise that we he'd never actually got down on his knee or done something to say, "Will you marry me?" It was just seemed it was something we both knew very quickly. Yes. I guess it really dawned on you the day you set the date for the wedding, though. <laughs> yes. Well. It didn't dawn on me that he had never proposed until some time after we were married and we were having this conversation. So there you go. Margot, what have you learned in your life that you believe we should all know? I'm glad you've asked me that question because when you did a couple of weeks ago, I had to really, really get down to it. And so what I'm going to share now is what I really deep within myself have learned that's been meaningful to me and I really think it's worth everybody knowing. You know, my husband's got a saying, when all else fails, read the instructions. (laughs) And I've learned that the most reliable instructions on how to have a healthy and a fulfilling life are found in the Bible. It's all there and the science is just catching up. But more importantly, the Bible fuels self-control, which we just talked about, and that's the key to following its life-enhancing advice and reaching our full potential. That's, That's what's amazing about it. This book of heavenly origin is amazingly down to earth. No wonder it's the best selling book still. You know, a little boy, I love this, I love children, the things they say. Well, there was a bunch of children that were asked to write letters to God, and this was one of them. Dear God, I've read your book. It's very good. 
did you write any other books? Don't you love that? I just love it. So listeners, I would encourage you to read the Bible and connect with its author who would rather die than live without you. Hmm. Do you have a favourite passage of the Bible? I've thought about that too, Barry, and I've got so many. It was quite hard to think of one that I could consider favourite. And while this might sound a little odd, it really comes down to one word, one word in the Bible. That, And I won't tell you what it is right now. I'll tell you a story, and when I finish the story, you'll be able to work out what that word is that I've found so incredibly powerful and so beautiful. It goes back quite some years, and I was visiting a neighbour that I'd visited a a few times before, didn't know her all that well, and on this particular day she was really, really distressed, and I would probably say even depressed, very, very upset. And she told me that her son had been found guilty of a crime and was sentenced to jail. So that was, that's bad enough. I mean... You can't actually imagine how bad that would be unless it happened, I suppose, but she was distraught. And on top of that, the people that she thought were her friends were now shunning her as though, like, almost as though she was guilty. And she was feeling so isolated and she said, I can't even pray. I didn't know whether to offer right then because we didn't know each other that well, so I just let her talk on and she kept going over and over what was troubling her and when she said for the third time I can't even pray I said to her would you be comfortable if I prayed for you and she was hesitant and I just waited for her to think it through and it almost became a little uncomfortable but I thought no I'll just leave her to work this out if she's comfortable I'm fine with that if she's not I wouldn't press her to do it and eventually she said Yes, she said, I would like you pray for me. So I I prayed. It was not a long prayer. It was just directed to her point of need. And what I remember particularly is just asking that she would have a real sense of God's loving arms around her, loving her, comforting her and being there for her. Just that that kind of prayer. When I finished praying, I looked up and she still had her head bowed, so... I thought maybe she was going to pray too, but it became apparent that she wasn't. So I got up and walked across to her and then I saw that she had tears streaming down her face. I just put my hand on her shoulder and I just waited for her to be composed. And her first words were, I notice you call him father. And I said, yes, I do, because it's so special. I said... My name's Margot Marshall. My husband's name is Pat Marshall. People call us Pat, Margot, Mr Marshall, Mrs Marshall. But there's only two people on this whole planet who can call us mum and dad, and that's our two children. And this amazing God, this creator of the universe, has invited us to call him Father. Barry, I can't do justice to the next bit, but I'll just have to do my best of what happened next. She straightened up and she looked up and her eyes widened and this face that was still wet with tears just lit up and words came tumbling out of her mouth. And she said, that's right, that's right, our children... 
they're not calling themselves Mr. and Mrs. They're calling themselves the mum of the pub and not the Mr. and Mrs. The mum of the pub and the mum of the pub. And she just, I can't do it like she did, but she just kept saying this. And a light went on inside her and she was just transformed in front of my eyes. And so you've guessed by now that my favourite word in the whole Bible is Father. Mm. It's precious and it's beautiful. And we talk about every word that comes from the mouth of God. Even that one word was just so powerful for this lady and it just brought her through that terrible feeling of isolation. And, you know, I've also also noticed that that fatherly theme, that paternal fatherly theme is actually Jesus' favourite theme. And when you read the Gospels, it happens again and again. Your Father in heaven, he talks about that frequently. So that is definitely my favourite word and every text that contains it, I suppose. That's wonderful. Margaret, would you like to... um Start drawing our um, conversation to a close with a prayer for our listeners. I would love to do that, Barry. Dear Heavenly Father, it is so special to be able to call you that and to know all that it means. And I would like to pray for everyone within the hearing of my voice that they will come to know you as their father and that their whole being will be transformed by that love and that they will be able to be complete mentally, physically, spiritually and socially. I ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Mark, it's been great talking with you today. Thank you for all the work that you've done in uh, preparing for our conversation today. Uh, There's some really important concepts that you've presented and uh, just encourage people again if they want to um, improve their health to just do those simple things that we talked about in the first part of the program or go and look up the CHIP Health website and uh, also the depression recovery website as well and you have something for us as well don't you yes um you're probably thinking if if you are if you're out there thinking i would really love to be able to plug into the creator of my being i'm just not really quite sure how to do that well there's a book that's been written which i could not recommend more highly and the author of this book has been listed by the Smithsonian Institute as one of the 100 most significant Americans of all time, listed in a group that includes the likes of Abraham Lincoln, Helen Keller and Martin Luther King. She's the most translated woman in the entire history of literature. And Path to Peace, that's the book we're offering, is her life-changing masterpiece on spirituality. It's sold more than 80 million copies and it's been translated into more than 100 languages. And in that book, you'll discover how precious you are to your creator who would rather die than live without you. And you'll learn that prayer is simply talking to God the same way you talk to a friend. You'll be assured that everything that matters to you matters to God. So you can talk to him about everything, the good, the bad and the ugly, knowing that his heart of love is touched by your sorrows. Path to Peace will help you to plug into the source of life itself, the creator of your being. So if people want a copy, they can just contact us here at 3ABN Australia. That's right. Well, thank you, Margot. I'm Barry Harker, and this is Life Learnings. My guest today is Margot Marshall. Margot has shared some insights and research into the impact of a holistic lifestyle and health. I've also talked with Margot about her life and Christian commitment. Remember to tune in again next time 
as I speak with another fascinating guest on Life Learnings. Until then, bye for now and God bless you and keep you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.